This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. question to yourself okay you don't have to call me just answer the question to yourself you know we last hour we talked a little bit about these covid lockdowns what happened during the covid lockdowns right we not me but a lot of people were told not to come to work it was not unusual for me to walk around the very crowded streets of manhattan and be able to stand in the street in the middle of the day which is not something that you can normally ever do because there's cars buzzing all over the place. So you had all sorts of people around the country, particularly in the early days of 2020, working from home. Now, Matt Blaze, if you were to guess, do you think the number of traffic fatalities went up in 2020 from the previous year went down or stayed about the same? I would say went down. Went down. Makes sense, right? Because no one's driving to work. Everyone's home. Right. You. That's what I would have said, and you and I would have been absolutely wrong. In 2020, as COVID rattled through the state, law enforcement and EMT workers began reporting a huge increase in road-related injuries. Now, how? How could this be? Despite the lockdowns and the empty streets that I was seeing firsthand, walking around, seeing nothing but empty streets. Well, apparently, um, the uh, people were speeding. People were speeding, and uh, they were also on their phone like crazy. And people were plowing through intersections, going through red lights with alarming frequency. Also, seatbelt use was down, resulting in thousands of injuries to unrestrained drivers and passengers. The interesting thing was, after a steady decline, intoxicated driving arrests rebounded to near historic highs. Drivers were frustrated. Drivers were frustrated. They were getting drunk and they were driving. So even though there were fewer people on the roads, the number of people hurt, the number of people dying with traffic accidents went up. Well, so you might think, okay, 2021, things are just about getting back to normal. They probably were back at their pre-COVID numbers. Nope. Nope. Things were about the same in 2021 as they were in 2020. 2022, same deal. From 2020 to 2021, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration calculated the number of crashes in the United States soared 16% to more than 6 million. 6 million. Now, just to 
put that in perspective. Um, just in one year, it was up 16%. That is 16,500 car wrecks a day. Now, you might think, okay, that's bad, Frank. People don't know how to drive. They're on their phone all the time. Well, the, the cars are so safe now. There's, there's airbags. There's collision avoidance and everything. The fatality figures are even worse. In 2021, 42,939 Americans died in car crashes. That is the highest toll in a decade and a half. Of those deaths, a sizable portion involved intoxicated or unrestrained drivers or vehicles traveling well in excess of local speeds. There's a huge article in the New York Times magazine last week. Why are American drivers so deadly? And that is precisely the question that I'm going to ask you at 800-848-9222. After decades of declining fatality rates, dangerous driving has surged again. And my question for you, and a lot of you probably driving right now, why are American drivers so deadly? A question. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born... I have awaited a question. I'm going to link uh, to the article on my Facebook page if you want to check it out and read it for yourself. I'm, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of people that they interview. Uh, there's a lot of different suggestions about um, why this has gotten so much worse. Because it, it, people are reporting, self-reporting. Changes in aggressive driving within the past five years that have skyrocketed. And I am curious what you think this is. Now, the uh, writer of this article, who is, let me give credit here, Matthew Shear. Matthew Shear talks about um, that the problem that was some of the most interesting research that he came across was. Um, was really, One Piece was very illuminating. So Matthew encounters this, um, on the, uh, encounters this study or this research on the campus of the American University of Beirut by a team of faculty researchers. This is the paper called Measuring Aggressive Driving Behavior Using a Driving Simulator. And the project placed volunteers inside a contraption known as a Drive Safety DS600C. It's a converted Ford Focus fitted out with digital displays. The volunteers then drove, not really, it's a simulator, the Ford Focus through a series of three pixelated scenarios using the gas and brake pedals and the steering wheel to control their progress. You know, think of the driving games that you might see at the arcade or something, and that's pretty much what it is. Only later were the volunteers informed that each scenario had been designed to arouse their ire and test how they would react to road-related stress. The opening simulation placed drivers behind a school bus, stopped on a two-lane road. To get around the bus, participants were forced to negotiate gaps in oncoming traffic at intervals intended to trigger anger and impatience and possibly instigate 
aggressive driver behavior. Another scenario involved a left-hand turn across a busy intersection. For every few seconds that the driver failed to make the turn, a car would crawl up behind the driver and commence honking. Haven't we all been in this position? The longer the wait, the more cars, the more cacophony. And yet the turn was a hard one. The windows of opportunity were short. You either gave in to the pressure of the cars behind you and behaved recklessly, or you waited. Few people in this simulator waited very long. So the study's authors concluded that frustrating events in the driving environment may instigate drivers to drive aggressively, even if they may be non-aggressive by nature. And the researchers went a step further. Not all reactions are made equal because not all people are made equal. Something called trait aggressiveness plays an important role in our driving. The more stress and anxiety and fear and anger that we experience in everyday life, the more badly we'll act behind the wheel. So that's why you have the cautiousness exhibited by participants who said they had low or moderate amounts of stress in their lives and the willingness of their baseline angry counterparts to risk their own safety. So the problem today in the United States might be that we're all angry and anxious. And we're all in a car all the time, or at least that's what it feels like. So I am curious if you think there's more to this. Because I think like a lot of things, when you see numbers spike this much, then it's probably multiple factors. I'm curious where you come down on this. 800-848-9222. Why are American drivers so deadly? Because this is an American issue. We are not seeing the same uptick in traffic deaths and crashes in other countries. Like you might expect in most industrialized countries that they looked at during COVID when everything was shut down, accidents went down. Not here. Things you know, got worse, and they're continuing to get worse. So every year for the past decade and a half, the AAA Foundation uh, for Traffic Safety, they publish something called the Traffic Safety Culture Index, kind of the State of the Union of American roads. And the you'd think that the 2022 edition was bleak. The headline from the news release, Going in Reverse, Dangerous Driving Behaviors Rise. That was 2022. But the 2023 report was even more grim. Of the 2,500 licensed drivers who responded to the AAA survey, 22% admitted to switching lanes at high speeds or tailgating, 25% admitted to running a red light, 40% admitted to holding an active phone while driving, and 50% admitted to exceeding posted speed limits by 15 miles per hour or more, all within the last month. What's worse is a sizable number of respondents said they knew that people important to them would somewhat or completely disapprove of this behavior. They did it anyway. Despite the risk and despite the fact that, as AAA notes, a motorist's need for speed really doesn't deliver much in terms of shorter travel times. It would take driving 100 miles at 80 miles per hour instead of 75 miles per hour, to shave just five minutes off a trip. Think about that. So where are you in a hurry? 
Why are you speeding? I look at even, I'm shocked. You know, we live in a one-way street, residential neighborhood, and there's children on the block. No, no speed bumps. And I'm shocked at the people that speed down our block. Now, my neighbor, he does have a, a, a little sign that he puts out there in the street that says, slow down children at play. And they do slow down when you put that right in the middle of the street. But otherwise, I am telling you, People are speeding right through, right down our block at alarming speeds. And I just think, where are you going? And why do you need to get there so quickly? All right. Um, but it's an interesting article. I'm not even, I'm not even, you know, covering the gist of it. It's really thoroughly researched, and uh, I encourage you to read it. It's on my Facebook page if you want to take a look. But I'd love to hear your theories as to why we've gotten so crazy. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Bobby in Jersey City. Hi, Bobby. Frank, good evening, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. A couple of reasons, Frank. A couple of things. Obviously, cell phones out of control. You have to have a hands-free. You have to have a cause. You have to put the phone down, and you have to have hands-free activation because that's got to be the number one reason people are so preoccupied. Another thing, Frank, I think uh, drivers are getting much older nowadays. People are living longer, and uh, there's a lot of more seniors on the road, and that's contributing to a lot of uh, deadly incidents. It just happened oh. the other day. The drug guy got killed. The guy with the Zadroga belt. He got ran over. I know. I know. Yeah, I I talked about it at the time. Yeah. And in that case, you're right. The person that hit him was, uh, I think, an 82-year-old gentleman. That guy shouldn't be driving. He should be running for president. Yeah, but uh, those are just two big, quick things I'm thinking of. And actually, Frank, I'm driving down to the Garden State Parkway right now, so I'm on my way home. All right, well, be careful. Thank you. Be careful, You got it. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Why are America's drivers so deadly? By the way. Speaking of death, we are going to talk in about 10 minutes about a subject that I have long been fascinated by. I have said that I, when I die, I would love to get my head frozen and be revived whenever they can bring me back. Hundreds of years, thousands of years tens of thousands of years down the road. I'd love to do it. I really would. And a lot of people are surprised by this. Well, we have uh, found the CEO of one of the leading, not one of the leading cryonics company, and he's going to join us in just a little bit to discuss this whole situation and how people are doing this and what, what you need to know about this. All right, 800-848-9222. Lisa is in Connecticut. Hi, Lisa. Why just the head? Why not do your whole body? Well, because I'm thinking, and maybe maybe um, the gentleman that we're going to talk to in just a minute, maybe he can convince me otherwise, but I'm thinking maybe I can donate every, all of my organs and everything that, you know, that, that's the rest of my body to medical science or to people that may need some of my organs. Although, you know, given the, the amount of bourbon that I've consumed over my lifetime, I imagine there are not going to be many takers for my liver. But, um, and I, I do think, and I'll find this out, I do think it's a lot cheaper just to freeze your head. But I'm wondering if they end, end up coming up with some technology that could bring us back to life, then you could be reborn. 
Well, well I'm gonna, I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna raise these questions in just a moment yeah, with the CEO yeah, of Alcor. Absolutely. That's cool. I can't wait to hear this. Excellent. But I wanted to tell you that you know all this car stuff. You know, I do a lot of driving, and I've been seeing a lot of uptick in weird, crazy things lately. So I'll be doing my, you know, my job, and I'm working through the borough of Queens primarily a lot at night before I go back to Connecticut, you know, and back and forth with my work. And there's a lot of people either going on the wrong side of the road or they're going around me or, like, I literally have to pull over sometimes because people are, are so, like, on top of me and, like, flashing their lights and everything. Like, that would be use the speed limit because you don't want a red light camera ticket. And they go by you at certain points of the time of night while we're driving, while we're on the other side of midnight show, of course. So you have to deal with some crazies probably coming from the, the clubs or the bars or whatever they're doing. And But there's a lot of people that just don't care. They're reckless. They're going on the other side of the road lately. They're coming around and passing people and illegally. It's a lot of crazy stuff going on. And then... Last week, you know that uh, the other snowstorm that happened, the one that everybody thought was going to be a really bad one, but it wasn't. But I was out there working, and right when it started snowing and getting bad, some guy actually hit me, did a hit and run, and just damaged the front bumper of mine, came on the other side oh. of the road and hit me. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh huh. Hey, so, so Lisa, awesome. what do you what do you attribute this to? It seems like you've noticed this, and you're on the road. I mean, I drive every day, but you're on the road a lot more than yeah. I am. What do you attribute this uptick in bad behavior to? I don't know. Maybe it's just people are just just so like impatient lately. I don't know if they're just stressed out about things or. If they feel like they have the right to do whatever they want, they have this, like, Superman feeling now. I don't know. Because it's, it's like, a lot of, and, I, and I'm sorry to say, it's a, a lot of guys that are doing this uh-huh. whole thing where, on the road, and there's some bad female drivers. Like, there was a lady that was on the wrong side of the road, and, and she made a boo-boo, and I pulled over. I said, listen, you just did that. She's oh, my God. You know what I mean? And sometimes they don't realize because they're getting up early for the coffee and they're on the road or whatever. Sometimes people just make a boo-boo, you know? But there's a lot of guys that are just, like, really belligerent with their cars, and I don't know what it is. Interesting. Lisa, thank you. I appreciate the the call. You know, my friend Mike, who's a very prominent Manhattan, he's been on the show before, he just wrote me, um, and you could text me as well, 8168-Morano. He said, no one thinks about this. Poor economy causes people to defer necessary vehicle maintenance and repairs they can't afford. This creates more unsafe vehicles that are more accident-prone. This is fact. Now, that's something, and I'm glad he messaged me that, that's something I never would have thought of and never would have thought to bring up. That was interesting. 800-848-9222. Michael is on Long Island. What do you think about all this, Michael? Good morning, Frank. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. So a couple of things. To piggyback off of Bobby, it's true. I think the elderly definitely need to have their eyes examined once they hit like the benchmark of like 70 years old because we don't know if their vision is great, their line of sight might be different than ours, you know, peripheral may mm-hmm. be different. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it's like the um, the hesitation and the anticipation, right? Like I live by the decree that anticipation triumphs and hesitation will definitely get you killed on the road. Okay. 
right? So wh- what's the takeaway as it relates to this uptick in crashes? Uh, people aren't signaling that much anymore. Mm-hmm. People have these really high LED beams that are stock that could really mess up your field of vision. And for anybody that's, you know, capable of driving, it's, it's crazy. There's so much that's unsafe with vehicles these days. Interesting. Um, what do you think the solution is? I mean, you well, mentioned, one, I guess, I, uh, vision tests and regular, I guess, fitness tests for people over a certain age who are driving. That, And I also want to challenge the state's tint laws. Like, if we're going to have LED high beams that are super, super bright, oh, you really should consider tinting the windows just a teensy bit, just a teensy bit. Not, you know, dramatically like limo tint, but enough to accommodate the really bright lights. You know, I have noticed those really bright lights. I thought it was just me. Those bright lights, I see them, you know, because all my driving is at night. Uh, I I see them all the time. I think they're a tremendous menace. Absolutely. Dude, I wear glasses. And I can tell you. <laughs> Michael, it's thank really you. Bad. I appreciate the call. Let me get one or two quick uh, folks in here. And then we're going to talk with the uh, CEO of Alcor, who I'm really looking forward to. James Arrowwood, uh, find out about freezing yourself, which I have always been intrigued by. Josh in Rockland, what do you think about all this? Great show as always. So I think you, you drive you drive like who you are. So if you look at what happens to the driving situation, that means something is changing with how people are because you're the, actually the way you press the gas pedal, the way you brake, the way you look out, how much response times you give yourself depends on how actually your whole brain is working. So there's people that are peaceful, they're not looking, they're not rushing, they're not on, the, they're not on edge. That makes them drive a certain way, and it's more important for them to get somewhere safe than to their value, their life. The whole, I think it's, it has a lot to do with your inner self, the way you drive. You can really tell a person on the way they drive. Some people just, they don't see what's going around. I drive with a lot of my friends. They just don't see what's outside the window. They're just driving. They're not there. They're driving. They're like, Oops, and that, and that. They're not taking in everything in account. People are very, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's like, I do think it's also it's one of the only responsibilities left in 2023. If you, in 2024, if you look, your microwave tells you when it's done, your oven tells you, your washing machine. The only place you really need to go in and start focusing. So back in the day, it was interesting to go outside because there was roads, you see new stuff. Now you go on your television, your smartphone, it's more interesting. So people are not even interested in going out for a nice drive. So I feel like a lot of factors, but I don't know. That's just my two thoughts. Uh, Josh, I think you, uh, I think you nailed several different aspects of it. Josh, thank you. Uh, all right, those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you. We're going to talk with uh, a gentleman who is in the business of freezing people. That's right. I have long been, from the time I was a child, long been fascinated at the prospect of being cryonically frozen. And brought back many years from now when they found a cure for whatever it is that killed me. Apparently, I'm not alone here. There are other people doing this. All right. We're going to get into it with James Arrowwood from Alcor. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You're as cold as ice. You 
it can do a lot of things, right? It can make you slip on the sidewalk. If you're sending dry ice through the mail, it can help preserve um, some steaks that you might be FedExing across the country. But after you die, could the cold potentially play a role in seeing you revived in the future? A lot of people think so. And I have to tell you, I have always been fascinated by this and thought that, you know, I might want to do this. Um, Larry King, who is somebody that I always admired, got to meet a couple of times and was a huge fan of, he talked about this regularly. I don't believe he uh, he actually went through with it, but he talked about this regularly. Here he is in an interview with uh, Conan O'Brien discussing his view of why he'd like to be cryonically frozen. You plan to be cryogenically frozen. I said, when you did my show, Dinner with the Kings, yeah. it was a great, one of the great shows yeah. ever. Yes, and you were shocked at that. I was shocked that you want to be cryogenically frozen. Well, here... Why? It, okay. I don't believe in an afterlife. I can't... I, I just never accepted it. I never made that leap of faith. So, that means when you die, it's bye-bye, baby, right? Right. Lights out. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. So the only hope the only fragment of hope is to be frozen and then someday they cure whatever you died of and you're back. <laughs> so in other words, you put me in the ground or you, 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 you burn me up. Whatever. That's, you, you, you don't want that. I want to have a... F- I'm, I'm Jewish. We got to have hope. I got to have... <laughs> if I, I have a fragment of hope. I got to tell you. If the future had Larry King in it, I think the future would be a lot brighter from my perspective. Well, in all seriousness, I, um, I, I think this is a fascinating subject, and it's something I've thought a great deal about for myself. And uh, I caught a recent uh, segment that uh, CBS Sunday Morning did on a gentleman who's dead, who's actually who was frozen at the hotel that they filmed The Shining. And I thought it was really interesting. And somebody that answered a lot of questions that I had about cryonic freezing was featured in this uh, in this segment. I thought, let's try and reach out to him, see if he's willing to come on with me. Sure enough, he was a sport and uh, has agreed to do so. I want to welcome to the program James Arrowwood, who is the co-CEO and president of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. James, thanks so much for joining us on the radio hey frank uh thanks for having me you're killing me with that song though i thought i'd heard everything man oh oh trust me good music thank you (laughs) hey no we've we've got a great great crew here they uh they like to bust chops all right um James, people have heard about cryonics before i think most folks have some vague idea of the concept but pretend Nobody does uh, have a vague idea of what the concept is. What is cryonics? What do you guys do at Alcor? Well, let me start and preface everything because one of the big critiques you hear and and something you mentioned earlier was, you know, the cost of this. And and I want to start by explaining that Alcor as a cryonics organization is hey, James, actually a non- James, let me yeah. let me put you on hold for a second because your your line's a little uh, crackly. So I think we're going to try and get you on the phone because believe me, I don't want to miss a uh, a second of uh, of what you're saying here. So just hold your hold your thought on that and we will uh, continue in just a minute. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with James Arrowwood. He's the uh, co-CEO and president of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, which is the sort of the big name in uh, in cryonics. 
Sonics, and a lot of people are curious about it, and myself included. James, I'm sorry. Uh, continue. What is cryonics? Okay, first thing I want to point out to everybody is uh, Alcor is actually a 501c3 nonprofit scientific research organization. So that's real important because when people talk about the cost, and you brought it up earlier, they're like, oh, this is only for rich people. This is super expensive. We're a nonprofit. So everything we're doing is actually going to research. And the research comes to the core issue, which you asked about, which is what is it we're trying to do here? Well, we're just trying to use ultra cold temperatures to cease kind of biological decay, which we all know occurs, you know, within the hours after you die. So we're trying to preserve tissue up to and including the brain, which you mentioned as a what we call a neuro. So if you want to sign up and just preserve your brain, you know, obviously with, with modern science, we understand the brain to be the center of intellect and personality and memory. So that is the key piece. But there's a lot of other scientific applications, including things like organ banking for perfect transplantation that are part of our scientific research mission. And so all of this kind of goes into one pot, and we work our way up to the brain eventually, uh, with the goal, of course, of not losing some of that intellect and, and investment you've put into your brain. Um, and th th that's kind of the general notion of it, but we've got a, a lot of steps to take before we get up to you know, re what's called revival, which is your brain coming back in any meaningful way. So that's, that's what we do. Uh, we're, we're researching the possibility. Do, yeah. do you guys, are you, is your uh, nonprofit actually the right. entity that if I'm interested in being frozen, that I would call you guys and you would do the freezing? Right. We actually have a team of veterans, uh, former Special Forces veterans, as well as we use veterans and first responders that are trained in very particular kind of medical research, uh, you know, activities, as it were that go in and we actually use what's called a cryoperfusate, which is this chemical that aims to, to prevent ice formation in your cells. So ice is what causes damage at a molecular level. And if you can prevent that, there's, there's the real possibility. And, and people say, oh, this sounds science fiction-y, and it's like, hold on a sec. You've heard of IVF, right? In vitro fertilization, right? right. I have a, a lot of friends that, uh, that have, uh, right. have done that, and they have perfectly healthy children. Exactly right. There are people walking around today that exist solely because of the exact same process we're doing. The difference, of course, is an embryo is a much smaller set of cells, right? So you have to scale that up. It's a question of scale, but it's not a question of whether it's possible. The proof is that the kids walking around that are friends with their kids that were born through IVF. That's absolute proof the scientific, you know, scientific process is possible. Now it's a question of scaling up. Uh, we're talking with James Arrowwood. He's the uh, co-CEO and president of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. Uh, James, I've heard the term cryonics, and I've heard the term mm -hmm. cryogenics. Sometimes they seem right. interchangeable. Are they? Are, do they mean the same thing? If not, what's the difference? You know, that's a great question, and, and they are often inter interchanged. In, in simplest terms, cryogenics is, is freezing small cellular groups, okay? Cryonics is the goal of preserving the entire body, including personality, memory, and the brain. Understood. For the purpose of coming back someday. So one is kind of the, the micro scale, and one is the macro scale of, hey, what is the aspirational goal? That is cryonics. Cryogenics is on the individualized level. This is how we would get there. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense that. to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, you follow the science uh, closer than anyone that I've ever spoken to about this subject. 
I can I can only understand half of it. <laughs> hey, I, you, you know, you're, I, you're a lot farther along than, than I am. But given your exposure, right. you're dealing with the science, and and given given how you followed this, realistically. What do you think a an appropriate ballpark is for when we'll start to be able to bring back some people that have been cryonically frozen? Are we talking a thousand years, two thousand years, more, less? You know, it, it's it's really difficult question to answer. I, I think I think you know we like to talk in in terms of statistical probability or possibility, right? Well, it's greater than zero. And and I say that because we know there have been things like these Arctic worms and there are certain kinds of animals, fish, for instance, uh, the fish proteins, they don't freeze under under freezing, you know, ice conditions. Um, so it, it's greater than zero in terms of a timeline. Um, it's going to really depend on how well we do our job with the freezing process in the first place. So kind of like early iterations of technology, you know, take, take longer to be bigger. Um, the, the the later iterations, which more advanced science are using, which we're working on right now, you know, those are more likely to be sooner because there's going to be less hmm. freezing damage. But in, in timelines, I mean, let me let me put it a different way. Uh, you're a Star Trek fan, I think I read. Right, right, that's right. Okay, so if you remember the the James Kirk, you know, Captain Kirk episodes early on, they were using a communicator that right. was essentially a walkie-talkie. Right. Now they're traveling to distant galaxies and meeting Wookiees or whatever they're meeting, but but they're talking on a walkie-talkie. Right now, I'm talking to you on something that finds me on a Z-axis base anywhere in the world while it's going 8,000 miles in rotation, you know, sending me videos. So how this progresses, impossible to predict. Except I'll say, knowing what I know about complex organ structures and some of the confidential research that's being done. Um, I think we're a lot closer than people think, and by that I mean a hundred years. Really? Reasonable. Wow that that would Reasonable. be that would be wow. Hey, uh, talking with James Arrowwood from uh, Alcor. James, uh, just to clear up some of the you know popular misconceptions that have yeah, been out there. Give me all the bad stuff. Give me the yeah, well, uh, Give it to me. No, no. Well, so <laughs> wait. Um, the first thing, just as a point of fact, because uh, this sure. still follows him every time his name is mentioned. Walt Disney was not frozen, right? I, You know, uh, we have a policy. We don't confirm or deny uh, anybody. I will tell you this. there, There's only a few people in the world who actually know everybody who signed up. And they're, they're typically people that have other professional obligations. So I'm an attorney by trade in addition to being co-CEO at Alcor. And so I have legal obligations beyond just my singular role, right? Uh, there are people who have singularly changed the world from the arts and the sciences and other fields that are signed up and or that are stored at Alcor. We, we specifically anonymize them. And I didn't understand this myself until I started the job and I met with a couple of people in particular who have changed the world. You would know them by part of their name. Okay. Uh, and I'm like, I don't understand because it would be such a big thing. Right. If we could publicly say, you know, that this person who's obviously one of the smartest persons on earth is a member. And they said, well, you know, James, do you realize that there are people who might want my DNA? Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, never thought about it. Problem said, you know, nobody cares about following me around, but they have people following around and stuff, and so they just have these different issues that we don't, you know, we don't consider. 
And so out of respect for all of that, uh, we, we just don't need All right, so I could throw any name in the world at you, whether it's Walt Disney, Ted Williams, or anybody else. You, you're not going to confirm or deny whether— Unless they're public, unless they're a public member, meaning they have given us express permission uh, to state that. For instance, there are people who have said that they're signed up, but I cannot confirm or deny it because to us they're confidential. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. They can talk about it all they want. I can't. But, no. but I will. I will say that these are people that are unbelievable. Like our membership is unbelievable. Now, uh, the Ted Williams thing was very well publicized. I believe even right. his son uh, and his daughter uh, talked about this, and I think there was, you know, there was a lot of contention about whether or not this was sure. the right thing to do for him. You know, there was a story back in 2008 that uh, mm-hmm. that Ted Williams' head was mistreated by mm-hmm. Alcor. I mean, uh, and the person who I think said that was a former employee of Alcor. What can you tell right. us about that situation? I mean, I, I, I think a lot of folks can't ma- imagine a worse indignity, especially if you're someone that did very well in your chosen field, like Ted Williams did, to be, you know, have your head mistreated posthumously. Right. No, yes, I'm, I'm familiar. I wasn't there. You know, I wasn't at Alcor or, or associated with Alcor at the time those allegations came forward. What I can say is that the person who made them work there very briefly uh, was sued for defamation and Alcor won. And that's what the media, they don't, they, they never finished that story. Gotcha. Which, which drives me bonkers a little bit because they like to report about it, but they don't actually talk about, hey, that guy was sued and lost. It's pretty hard to lose a defamation case, number one. Number two, if you look at like the, the depots in that case, uh, you know, this person pled the Fifth Amendment like 300 times. Oh, and wow. You only plead the fifth when you're worried about something you said wasn't true. Right, right. And, okay. you know, you just then hear that result. And, and frankly, we're still chasing that judgment. I mean, that's something where that guy's never going to escape because he was trying to sell a movie or a book uh-huh. or something else. But we do get that. We get people that think we're some deep-pocketed thing because they associate names with us or something else. They don't realize we're a science nonprofit. And like every other nonprofit, we're scrambling for funds. We're essentially crowdfunding. You know, the expense you talked about the the, the neuro is ninety thousand. The whole body's well, a little over two hundred. So this is this is do. exactly what I was going to ask you about. So if yeah. I want to if I want to freeze my whole body, it's about two hundred thousand, right. and just the head. I think now. Tw- yeah. Okay, so in the neighborhood of two twenty, that just right. the head is about ninety thousand. That's right, and and you, and people say, well, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. That's like, yeah, we're, we're nonprofits, so it, doesn't, it certainly doesn't go in my pocket. Um, what what it what it covers is it's extraordinarily expensive. So the cryoperfusate, the chemical that's used, is an experimental chemical. And imagine the first Tesla Roadsters; they were much more expensive than what you have today. That's that's the cost of emerging technology. But in any event, so so the perfusate alone for your head can run twenty or thirty thousand dollars. Not to mention a team of people have to go recover you. Not to mention we have to pay for research. So actually about 60% of the cost comes from donations. Hmm. People, don't, people don't hear any of this, right? And it's like we need to tell that message better. But also, like I don't have you – know, I'm a neuro, okay? So I'm signed up just for my head. Um, but like I don't have $90,000 lying around to pay for it. Nobody, actually, nobody really pays that. Most of our membership funds it through life insurance. And it's just, it's a life insurance contract that you pay, you know, if you do it right, it's actually a little more than the cost of an average funeral. 
in this country because you can buy life insurance that kind of has a, a value that increases over time and that sort of thing. So if you do it right, you know, you're, you're basically paying for scientific research. I call it crowdfunding research. That's now, what you're doing. Are there other reasons that people would just do the head beyond cost? Is there any other? Advan- oh, sure, a ton of them. Yeah. So give us a few of uh, yeah. the reasons why you're, let's say, just a neuro. You know, this is a huge debate amongst uh, ourselves and, and members, but also individually, because I struggle with that. Sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe I'll do a whole body. You know, I'm quite attached to the body, obviously. Uh, but no, I have, you know, look, I've I've <laughs> had a pretty sporty life. I beat the heck out of my body. Um, odds are that whatever kills me, if it's not something, you know, an accident or disease of the brain, it's something that went terribly wrong in the lower part of my body, right, neck down. Uh, whether that's the heart or lungs or something else. So, you know, I look at it like, well, by that point, um, um, my body's going to be pretty beat up to begin with, you know. And if we ever get to the technology to revive anybody, well, maybe I'd rather have a cloned body of myself or some people think a robot or some people think a computer. And the revival part, I don't really know. Like, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. But I suspect if we're that far advanced that there's going to be a way to regrow, you know, body structures. Again, you're, you're, when you start with an embryo, you can turn it into a whole person, right? Well, presumably, if you start with some of your spinal cord fluid or, or stem cells like that, that you could somehow clone your body or connect to some sort of robot body, right? I don't know. Uh but that's kind of my version of it. I look at my body and I'm like, man, my body's beat the hell. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Understood. James, yeah. uh, understanding that you can't give up anybody's uh, identities, are you able sure. to tell us, if if you know, how many people <laughs> are either uh, frozen entirely or have just their heads frozen? Are we talking hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? How many people are frozen? Well, at, at Alcor, we have hundreds. Um, and there's kind of a split between whole body and neuros. That's pretty close. I want to say it's about 60, 40, I believe whole bodies to neuros. Um, and we do have animals too. So that's another thing you can, you can preserve pets or also we're working on near extinct animal preservation. That's a big passion project. I want to get us more involved with, but, um, so we do have a combination of, of animals and people. Uh, different tanks, you know, uh, they're, they're these giant stainless steel tanks. In fact, that CBS Sunday morning thing, I think they showed a picture of people in them or something that's called a doer, mm-hmm. but that's where a whole body would go into. And then a neuro would go into it. We have smaller pods that kind of fit within these tanks. And those tanks are negative 320 degrees. Uh, so there is no biological activity. Now, that means there's no bacterial growth. There's no uh, fungal stuff going on. Uh, it, it basically pauses time. And that's why a lot of these ultra, you know, smart people are interested because frankly, space travel, like in Star Trek, the only way biologically it's going to be possible is by stopping metabolic activity. So that's why you saw Han Solo and mm-hmm. like Star Trek was frozen. Star Wars. That's yeah. why you see it. Yeah, or Star Wars, sorry. You, you, you see it in all these um, science fiction movies because the, the hard science says there's got to be a way to stop human aging and growth 
um, you know, long enough to travel to distant galaxies. And frankly, this is the only way that seems likely. James, so there's a ton of interest. I have a lot of other questions for you, and maybe sure. we could do a part two in the future because yeah, I have right. nothing but questions. Yeah. But l- let me end with this. Yeah. I played that Larry King sure. clip where he said, uh-huh. you know, he doesn't believe in an afterlife. I do mm-hmm. believe in an afterlife, but I'm still sure. interested in hanging around on this earth for, you know, for a while. Right. Is there, sure. in your view, is there any contradiction between a belief in a human soul or an afterlife? and wanting to be frozen and brought back in the future? No, not at all. And I, I don't know if you know, I went to Notre Dame for law school, University of Notre Dame. I did know Catholic that, school. yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I thought a lot about these things, and I have my personal belief system. I, I don't really talk about that publicly because my job. And, yeah, I deal with death all the time and, and these existential questions. Uh, the, the long and short of it is simple to me, okay? Um, whatever religious belief system you have. Pick one. doesn't matter. Uh, short of pure atheism, you don't believe any God exists. But if you believe in a higher power of any sort, define your terms. I'm a lawyer by training, right? Well, higher power by any religious is, hey, it's somebody who's omniscient or something that's omniscient, all-powerful, all-present, all those sorts of things. If, if, if your God doesn't want this to happen, don't worry about it. It's never going to happen. And in the meantime, your donation of your body, because when you, you give your body to us, it's a scientific donation under Anatomical Gift Act. When you donate your body, you're, it's going to science. Like we're mm. actually researching how to do kidneys and lungs and things that we know God, who, whoever you define God as, God's okay with, you know, transplants. We know because it happens every day sure. and people are surviving and, and thriving. So you, that donation, at a minimum, you're, you're contributing to the science where we could do perfect matches and get people off dialysis, get people off of anti-rejection you know, drugs. I mean, that's a huge lifestyle thing that you'd be contributing to the science of. Uh, no doubt. So, hey, James, you got to come yeah. back. If you don't mind another late sure, night, yeah. another day, uh, we'd have yeah, to, yeah. maybe next week we time. could do a part two. This is great. We got to talk about cheese too. You like cheese, right? I love cheese. Well, I can't get sharp provolone out here in Arizona. I can't get sharp provolone. It's killing me. If you send me your address, I'll I'll do what I can for you. Uh, James, thank you. Burrow Brothers, please. Exactly. James James Arrowwood. If you want to learn more about Alcor, you can go to their website, alcor.org. That's A L C O R.org. Really interesting. And I have a lot of other questions, uh, and I am hopeful that uh, we can get James back in the future. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is Sting singing When We Dance. 
Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. If you want to be heard on uh, anything we have covered thus far, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Very happy to say, in spite of spending the better part of the last 72 hours straight with my son who was sick and my wife who was sick, I am proud to tell you, did not get sick. Again, I don't know. I'm tempting the gods by by, by bragging about this. But I don't know whether it was the uh, vitamin C or the zinc that I was taking or the hot tea or making a point of getting as much sleep as I could on Friday night and Saturday night. I feel great. I feel great. And, you know, on Friday, I thought I felt a little something, maybe a little back of my throat. And now I- I'm convinced that I... You know, maybe you psyched myself into thinking I was getting something when I never did. So I dodged a bullet on that one and uh, very happy not to have gotten sick. But um, we did stay in most of the weekend because uh, my son was under the weather and my wife was under the weather. They both seem pretty well now. Uh, Carmen's going back to school today. He's gotten much better with the eye drops that we've been giving him. His pink eye has gone away. Still a little congested, but only a little bit. Seems okay. All right, uh, we'll take your calls in a moment. And we we have commendations to get to. A lot of people need to be commended. Until next hour, keep asking questions.